You're listening to Software Unscripted. I'm your host, Richard Feldman. Today I'm talking to Scott Trin, a programmer at EdgeDB who has experience with React.js both before and after the introduction of its Hooks API. I expressed skepticism of this design decision in a past episode, and today we dive into it. What motivated it, what trade-offs it introduced, and what design priorities it reveals about React as a whole. And now, React Hooks Design Review. All right, Scott, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Richard, thanks for having me. So on a previous episode, I was talking about how React Hooks came out and I did not understand the motivation or what the point of them was or like what problem they were solving. You reached out to me and mentioned that you were there when Hooks came out and you have a lot of context, perhaps future pun intended, on uh, why this decision was made, like what the impact was. So I'd just love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. So... The general problem, there's kind of like three problems that, that hooks were meant to solve. One was uh, reusing logic across multiple components. Like say there's, there's some common pattern that lots of components use, like handling input control state or something like that. The patterns for reuse that we had were things like render props or higher order components or something where you have to have a like component that wrapped your component that handed you some things if you wanted to reuse some state. Otherwise, in a class component, you would have cleanup kind of interleaved and the component would mount and did update and all of the different life cycles, the kind of logic of your handling were spread across these multiple class methods. Let's get more specific, because when I think reuse, my immediate thought is functions. Exactly, <laughs> I can, yeah. I can write a right. function that reuses <laughs> code. Why can't I just use functions to reuse? logic. What's wrong with that? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Because of state. So React has a way of handling state in the class component world. It was given to you directly with like this dot state, right? But that's not that wasn't exposed in the function components. And so when they were thinking about this kind of problem of like reuse of code, they were like, well, we should give function components the ability to hook into React's state, because the React like reconciler and everything has a concept of state. It just wasn't ever exposing it to function components. So when I used React, this was before function components came out. So when I used it, class components were the only way, they were the only game in town. So it sounds like what you're saying is that part of the motivation for introducing hooks was introducing, wanting to introduce function components, and then having this problem of reuse that's coupled with state is not possible because they don't expose a way to do that. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, that, that's part of it. Both state and like the lifecycle of the React reconciliation engine were both things that were only available to the class components. Oh, I see. So this is like the component did mount, like should mount and all that might potentially mount. I don't remember all the names anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. so you can think of like the React function component when it came out was just the render method of a class component with no access to state, with no access to the lifecycle of the component. And that was kind of fine. Obviously, people like React became very successful without function components. There, there's kind of a, a, like a history of like, why did they care about pushing function components? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Because, yeah, it seems like when I first heard about them being announced, my first thought was, ah, this is for the particular and quite common subset of React components that just don't need any state. They're just like, right. that's what it's for. It's like a little syntax sugar kind of for, if you don't need any of this lifecycle stuff, then you can just write your component more concisely. And I was like, cool, got it. 
but that's not what they ended up being apparently. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely what they started out as. It's like if you have a component that only depends on its props, then then write it as a function component. And I don't I don't think it was ever clear at the time like why you might want to write it as a function component because it, the equivalent like class component with just a render method in it isn't terribly more concise and if you ever wanted to add some state, it was like way easier to just add state into the class component. I don't think it was well communicated at the time that function components came out, like what they were going for, but kind of percolating behind the scenes at Facebook was React Suspense. And you also mentioned that this was like a big, like what is happening uh, here with React Suspense? Like, why should we care about this? And, and so, so it's, it's funny because like those things they came out at the same time, they were announced at the same time because they were kind of like, they needed to happen together. But to kind of back up a layer, they wanted to push function components because number one, they were class components were a little bit hard to teach. Like you had to learn about this and you have to remember to bind your methods and classes and JavaScript aren't real classes. They're just like syntactic sugar for the prototypes. And they found that like, in general, there was like a lot of boilerplate to get somebody like understanding what the component class was about and like what all the different lifecycle methods were and stuff like that. And if they could just say a function, like this component is a function of its props, that's way easier to teach. Like you pass in the props and then you just describe what comes out. I'm right? definitely familiar with pure functions being easier to teach with yeah. you there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Let me finish the thing about suspense. Sure. They rewrote React to use a fiber-based runtime so that they could do things like scheduling UI updates in, in, in different ways. It's a really interesting topic all by itself. Right. I remember there was this... Oh, how did this work? It, it was something along the lines of the motivating use case was like, imagine you have a website, let's call it jacebook.com, hypothetically, yeah. and... On this website, you have a news feed and you've got a sidebar with real-time messages coming in and out and you want to play a video. And there's like a low, there's like a network connection problem and you you have this one thing that's taking a long time to load, but you don't want the rest of the page to be delayed by, it was like this really, really, like suppose you are exactly facebook.com, you might have this problem. Therefore, <laughs> we're going to rewrite all of React behind the scenes. Right. Which given that it's designed to work for Facebook makes sense. But I would say most websites are not Facebook.com. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a simpler use case uh, okay, okay. here, which is, which is a controlled input colliding with state updates that are happening from some thing that takes a long time. So in React, like anytime you update the state, React will try to re-render the UI. So it'll run your render function again. And some things, if you could say, these things are really high priority. Don't interrupt the render of this in order to render something else. Then React can schedule when it runs the render in smarter ways. It can like batch updates together and it can and do stuff like that. So the kind of canonical ex example for the React Fiber thing is being able to get like a, a search input where like results are coming in in the background and they're all in one single component and you don't want to interrupt the um, input typing in order to re-render the whole tree as the search results are coming in, right? So that you want to be able to say, the state that I'm updating in the input 
is more important than this kind of like stream of state updates that are going to come asynchronously from the server. Now that's assuming they're all one component. It could be misremembering, but I thought that there was some way to decouple those and that would also work. Yeah, you can. You can create the component in like a grandparent of the thing that is going to be re-rendering and then pass that down as a prop and then just render that so that it's that function isn't changing identity when the parent is changing identity. But you can see like that's pretty awkward. Then you start having to like care about like you have to construct a component like a couple levels up from where it's being used and then like pass it down and no that's true but without going on a huge tangent this is exactly the type of scenario where i think as a developer of the framework you're at a crossroads one thing you can do is you can say yep this is a little bit awkward but that's better than the alternative or you can down the other path and say we're going to rewrite everything in fibers now granted i understand that it's facebook you had other motivating use cases than just this but if you're just thinking about the average developer i don't think i would have chosen rewrite everything under the hood change all the apis etc to solve for that one use case, not being blocked, but rather being a little awkward and unergonomic compared to whatever the suspense API ended up being. And you'll see like ergonomics is like a big reason for all of these changes. I think that they they do care deeply about that and they would rather something be a big thing you have to learn, but become like has like a, a smooth, you learn a little bit and you learn more and you get more and more powerful rather than like, Okay, in order to get this input field to feel responsive at all, you have to now know about like hoisting a component up and then passing it down and props and knowing about function identity and how the reconciler works. And I think when they rewrote in Fiber, they didn't change any APIs. They just rewrote it and nothing changed. However, they rewrote it knowing that class components were a little bit of a, a not perfect fit for how the Fiber runtime worked. The lifecycle hooks are synchronous in a class component. And so things might change in the middle of like a component will mount like firing. And React didn't really have a way of like managing that while maintaining backwards compatibility with class components. So I feel like the move that they made was like, okay, class components are going to be their thing. They're not going to be able to take advantage of fiber of the like enhancements that fiber give you, you can still do the thing where you pass up the, the component and pass it down and, and do that sort of thing. But this is the future. Like we want to have like a more performant runtime. And so they started pushing function components as this in the cases where you don't have state use these things, we can do some optimizations under the hood for like batching, diffing and reconciling and stuff like that. Let's like stipulate that if I'm Facebook and I'm like, we need suspense because of our use case. Right. And yes, there exist other use cases where you could do a workaround, but maybe our API value system is such that we prefer introducing a lot of behind the scenes complexity and possibly other things that have sort of knock on effects to that rather than suggesting here's the technique you use. If you're in this very specific scenario, we say we're going to make it so that there's a first class way to handle this scenario that's very specific if you're not Facebook at the cost of at least rewriting the internals and also introducing, although we're not making breaking API changes, we are introducing a whole new API that we encourage everyone to move to. So it's not technically breaking, but in practice, everybody ends up rewriting their code, right? Right, right. Libraries move on to these new APIs and don't update their old ones. Yeah, there's there's a whole like conversation to be had about like ba- maintaining backwards compatibility during like in- abandoning APIs. It's like the Angular story. 
Where, where they just like didn't even pretend to do that. Like, hey, this is a whole new framework. Uh, welcome to the future. If, you, if you're looking narrowly at classes had problems, uh, therefore we should introduce huts. That's missing the other two pillars, or like the two other two reasons. So they kind of had three main reasons that they, they wanted to change or they wanted to empower function components. One was reuse, reusing logic. The other ones were that components were getting really big and because of how like lifecycle methods were exposed, you would have logic that's kind of like very like far away from other code that's related to the thing that you're that you're managing in this one place. And it made it harder to like if you need to kind of refactor this into a couple of smaller pieces, then you have to go like hunt down all these places like where where these things that are related to each other are because they're spread across your whole component. Can you think of an example? Sure, sure. Um, the example that they they gave in the kind of like introduction talk is like a card component that has like two fields for somebody's name, first name and last name. And then also has like a label that shows how wide the window is. A very contrived example. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's all in one component and kind of over the course of the presentation, I kind of add the functionality of like adding the event handler to the window resize event and then adding the input handling of like getting the name, controlling the input. And, and they also like set the document title to the name that you type in. So there's like kind of like all these different pieces of logic happening in this one component. In the example, you can see that some of the updates are in, or some of the logic is spread in like two different lifecycle hooks of like adding the event listener, cleaning it up when it unmounts or when something changes, doing that kind of like maintenance of the side effects across the different hooks. And so they, they have this one component and without even breaking it up into separate components, uh, over the course of the of the demonstration, they just kind of like show how hooks bring those things together into like concerns like each thing like updating the document title can be extracted out into a custom hook and the input control handling can be extracted out into a custom hook and the window resize can be abstracted out into a custom hook. And then when you look at the component, you just see it cares about the width of them and cares about these two inputs, the state of these two inputs, and the document title is derived from the state of the, the two inputs. And it kind of like shrinks the, the component down to just, I care about use window width and use form input. Here they are. It kind of like collapses all of those like things that were spread around the component into four or five lines of like, here are the values that I'm dealing with in this component which was possible before. And how we did it in the class component days was you could write a component that just gives you the window width that manages the state of it, of it internally in the, in the various hooks. Instead of rendering a component, it takes a, a function as a child, and then you can pass the value of that to that function. And so you have like a wrapper. So you would have like, for window width, you would have like, window width component and then inside of that you would receive the window width as like a function argument and then you could use it so that was that that's how we did it before that's the the render prop pattern but in this case you would have like four separate components that were then nested that was another thing that was like 
the nesting seems significant because you are nesting them. There is like a direction to them, but they're not, it's not significant. It doesn't really matter which, which way you nest these in these, in this particular example, because they're totally separate concerns. That was the like canonical example of even like a relatively small component that just happened to have like four separate concerns happening in this component. How hooks made that a little bit easier. I mean, I, it's hard without actually seeing the code, but I mean, just hearing the, the three ways described. So the first way is you have a class component and you have various lifecycle methods, I guess, that say like subscribe to the window changing at an event listener, remove the event listener afterwards. And then the second way is using hooks where you abstract out the adding and removing of event listeners and call use whatever the use window width, et cetera, inside render. And then the third one where you do the wrapping components and each of those components do the lifecycle things for you. I can see an argument for forgetting to clean up event listeners is error prone or can be. So you want to ideally sort of abstract that away. And I guess that's what use like the, like the hook kind of does is gives you both the here it is. And then also here's the cleanup for it. So I, I do get that. Having said that, I don't know. It just, that doesn't, when I think about mistakes that I've made, like forgetting to remove an event listener, that's just not high on my list. It seems like the first, like I can see that in that particular way, maybe it's an improvement if the reusable thing is something that's getting reused in a bunch of places and someone mm-hmm. wrote it in a way where they remember to do the cleanup. And then, whereas if I'd done it several times, maybe I would have forgotten to do that. But if I'm thinking about this right, I think there's also, it feels like there's some way to do this with like prototypes maybe, or some sort of class-based thing. Maybe not. I guess you'd have to like call super explicitly inside your event listeners, which maybe you don't want to do. Oh, you mean like extending other components, maybe? Like creating some kind of inheritance? I'm just talking about plain old JavaScript inheritance. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, my class extends this other thing, which implements component did mount or something like that. And as long as I remember to call super in in both of my things, then if I'm overriding them, I guess, then those, those will get added and removed appropriately. So I guess like I can see how that is at advantage in terms of making things a little bit less error prone. But I'm not okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see about it being worth the cost. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, fair enough. So there's one other thing I wanted to kind of mention here. So there's the wrapper hell thing. There's the non. There's the, there's a hierarchy where there where that's not insignificant. You know, there's there's also one of the solutions that was very common or the most common solution is a higher order component render prop thing that I I described where instead of a component rendering UI, it just calls a function with the values that it's trying to provide. Right. That's kind of like, now this component has no UI, but it does have behavior. And that felt kind of awkward to them. The last thing that wasn't, I don't think was top of mind for the React team, because they just don't, I don't think they cared about this particularly, but I, as a developer, cared deeply about this, is that this wrapper hell started to make TypeScript really difficult. So there were lots of these, like, kind of higher order components and wrapper things like you would have a router and you would have like Redux and you would have all of these things that were kind of like providing values to your component. Each of those had a type and you had to kind of like wrestle with like how they were providing, like which one was providing these types and the types would get out of, out of whack with each other. Cause they had this problem of like hierarchy where, where it, it wasn't actually significant. You had this like tree of function calls and, and you had to align the types basically. 
for no reason. So does that, is that a problem with higher order components or just with the wrappers? Less with higher order components just because they are just calling a function that you define. Right. So what was wrong with higher order components? Just the kind of like wrapper hell. Like if you had one example they give that's like a functionality that tells you if something matches a, a media query or not. Is the screen smaller than 300 pixels or is it larger than 900 pixels? If you needed to, to get two booleans out of that, you would have to wrap it twice and you'd have to decide on an order, which order that the wrappers oh, went see. in. I, okay, yeah, okay. Where those things aren't related to each other and they don't depend on each other and therefore it would be nice if you could just call a function that returns that result rather than having this kind of like this tree where there isn't like really a dependency tree there. Yeah. And maybe this is just like kind of where they ended up with hooks anyway, but I wonder about like, and it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's some other possible world in which the API that you use, and maybe this is partly JSX makes this awkward. I'm not sure. Cause I actually never used JSX. <laughs> like I got in, we were using CoffeeScript at work at the time and there was no JSX for CoffeeScript at the time. So I was like, well, I'll just do function calls and that worked fine. I wonder about what if the APIs for like Redux and routers and stuff had been more like, yeah, you just, you need to add your own, like to, to register with us or whatever, for whatever state they're giving in, you'd kind of do it in that event listener style instead. And you say like, you know, register me in your mm. did mount or whatever, and then unregister me when you unmount and that's it. I don't know specifically about Redux or, or, or the router, but I don't know how they would get a hook into the lifecycle of React. Like, they don't sit in between React, the component, and the reconciler. And I think that's why they had that API of like wrapping your component in a function so that you're returning the output of that function to React. And so they were sitting between the component that you wrote and React itself. But there might have been a way to, like, maybe in, instead of React going and giving hooks to the developers, giving some API to library maintainers that would allow them to, like, register behavior and components or something like that. Yeah, I'm assuming they thought of that. They, they have this extensive section in the RFC of, like, things we considered and alternative proposals and prior art. Nothing like that was in there. So I don't know if that's just something they didn't consider or they wanted to empower like maybe one of the requirements was that this wasn't some hidden api that it was like something that the everyday developer did and and that kind of leads to another point that it kind of gets lost i think in the is was hooks a good idea thing is that they if you just look at hooks like the primitive hooks as the thing that you put in your function components then it's actually quite a bit messier i think than class components. One more thought before we move on. So I wonder about, like, it sounds like there was this term of nesting hell. Or what was the term? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wrapper hell. Wrapper yeah. hell, yeah. So I wonder about, let's say that I said, okay, for third-party things like window events and whatnot, I'm just going to do my own event listeners. Like I think when I say third-party, I guess what I mean is just plain old browser APIs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus something like specifically a router or specifically some application state thing like Redux. I wonder how much of a like hell we're in if it's like, well, it's I'm like, how many things are being nested? It's like, it's it's two. It's it's the router and it's the <laughs> app state. Yeah, that's two is more than zero. But like, is that are we in hell, though? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's it seems like if I if I've got those two libraries that are using that pattern, do I need more than that? 
I don't know. Like, is that something that came up a lot or was it just like two was considered hell? Yeah, I think the the idea was that we never got above two because two was just like so unmanageable already. If you wanted to have, well, so you had like type misalignment, you had like the ordering thing. And and this is more about like the higher order component render props thing than the than the like function that wraps that your component idea. Right, I guess, but but so it's not like every component is wrapped, right? It's it's the root component, and I, I understand the ordering concern. But if it's not that hard to order two things, is it? I mean, <laughs> right, right, not, not two things. But imagine, like in the example of the like card with two fields and the the width and stuff. If you wanted to extract out the logic so that they were together and reusable in other places, then then you would end up with four wrappers in this case. Sure. Now. I think there's a presupposition that that's like something you should want to do. And that's to me, I, I guess I'm questioning that mm. whether like, yeah, it's yeah. like, Oh, this is a pattern we should encourage more. And the only thing holding it back is this ordering thing. I tend to think yeah. more like the more sources of global state you have as inputs to a thing, the harder it's going to be to debug and maintain <laughs> and all these things. And so having friction around that, that like implicitly discourages that and sort of nudges you towards finding a different way to solve those problems is by default, a healthy thing in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think there are like some subtle things there. Like I think in that example of like those four things, one was the document title updating when you updated some some state, and then also updating when the window was changing width, and then also the state of the inputs. Those are the four of two inputs at four things. I think the idea there was that if you ever if you ever cared about generalizing any of those patterns, and people did because they wrote higher order components that did generalize these patterns, then you end up encouraging this this wrapper style. So what would be an example of people generalizing one of those? So the document title, you could write a class component that you know subscribed to the, or uh, uh, had a component will update that read in the new props and then set the document title to first name plus space plus last name. That's the example they gave. And so every time that the component will update, it would set the document title. Oh, I forgot. It needs to also be set and component will mount. Okay, so let's put it there too. And now we can wrap our component in this new component that just has that behavior. And we just like have to pass it the values that it should have. And it will suddenly start updating the document title when the, when the inputs change, for instance. That's a that's a great example of like what should that wrap like why did, why should that even be in the component tree it's it's literally just a side effect happening right like we're synchronizing some external state to some internal state right and I guess when I think about something like that I either think like I mean I, I get the example of like you have to add two different hooks one for like when we update and one for when we mount for that. But I mean, that's a classic example of I can imagine just like, what if you added a mount or update? That's like a, a one shot, <laughs> you know, stop that just like fires after both of those, for example. That seems like that would solve that problem. And there is granted still the actually in that case, there isn't even a, a event listener to unregister. So it seems like there was a simpler to me, it seems like there was a simpler solution to that particular one. And by the way, I'm, the reason I'm kind of like picking these apart is that this is the process I always go through when designing an API is I'm like, if I can avoid the big gigantic change, I want to try and find a way to do that. And one of the things I'm always weighing is like, you know, so it's, it's fun to Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback. The, uh, the yeah, the right. 
I think fundamentally, I agree with that um, very strongly. What's the smallest change that gives us the most flexibility to handle the, the problem? And I think maybe they felt a little bit like they were constantly putting out these little fires and constantly trying to like make small tweaks when they felt like fundamentally there is a different approach that would that would fix all of these things all together. Like if they were to have designed it from scratch, they would have done it like this. And there's an interesting point there about if they were to have designed it from scratch because React when it first came out, maybe you'll remember this had mix-ins. Yeah, which I do remember was that. Yeah. Exactly, it was exactly the this functionality of like being able to have some behavior and then just say that my class has these these extra behaviors. Yeah, in fact, I think I used mixins for flux stores back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> it's still there. You can still use mixins in React 18, actually. Um, but they ran into problems that mixins kind of do of having collisions and stuff like that. So their question, like, that was one of the things that they considered was like, do we just bring back mixins and then try to build some best practices around this? Because that, that really would have solved the, the thing for them. But then they also had these concerns of like, okay, we want, to, we want to support the fiber runtime better. So if they looked holistically at their like, goals and kind of where they were at, I think that's why they arrived at this kind of big shift. Because it fundamentally, I think, represented their feelings about what what sh- what it should be like better but that is a i mean it's it's a big big change yeah so let's talk about the big change so what yeah yeah what, what's the new okay so we talked about all the problems with the existing design so what's the replacement design or, or the the new thing that everyone's encouraged to move towards they're basically hooks there are kind of three primitive hooks and then there's a bunch of like extra ones that are useful and they are Use reducer, use effect, and use context. And those three things basically enable you to hook into, for use reducer, state that React manages. Use effect hooks into the diffing and reconciliation machinery of like something changed and this component should re-render. And uh, use effect gives you that, hooks into that part. And then use context is just there's this thing called React context and they need some way of providing that to function components. So when you say hooks in, like let's say I'm, I'm inside my render function, I say use effect. What does that change about my render function? So what you pass to use effect is a function. So you're basically registering effect, an effect with the React reconciliation engine. You pass in a function, primarily you pass in a function. And then what happens is every time it re-renders, it runs that function again. If you return a function from that function, it will call that function first and then call back again. So in the case of like registering an event listener, you would add event listener and then you would return a function that removes that same event listener. So when React renders your component again, it tears down whatever was there, unregisters your event listener, and then it re-registers a new one. So on every render, it's like, it's, it's doing this like kind of silly thing. So there's a second argument to use effect. And this is like the most, this is the thing that everybody has a problem with is the second argument, which is the React reconciliation machinery is diffing your props to tell like which, which prop changed. Like, why am I re-rendering? Like the reconciliation engine knows that. 
And if you pass it an array of the things that only run this effect if something changed, if, if one of these things changed, then it will only run that function when one of those values changes. So in the example I gave earlier, when you pass something to use effect, it just runs that effect every time. Now you can say, only run it, like I only care about rerunning this effect if these things change about the state of the component. So how do you specify what the things are that change that cause it to rerun? So let's say, for instance, you have, I'm trying to think, nothing in the width. That's not not dependent on anything other than the window. But No, I just mean like, is it like an array of prop names or something? or It's an array of, of values and of, of actual like reference to a, a variable. Not, not a string, but like the, the actual variable. And so what the reconciliation engine does is it does the deep equality, or like not deep equality, but... Shallow equality, yeah. Like triple Shallow equality. equality. Yeah, right, exactly. Equality. It, yeah. It, yeah, reference equality. That's what I was looking for. And if it hasn't changed, then it, if all of those things haven't changed, then it won't rerun the effect. So if you ever mutate any of those, you're out of luck. Like it's not going to get picked up. If you ever, if you ever don't pass it in... Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and they don't—they re- don't kind of allow you. Well, yeah, they don't allow you to mutate them in place. Basically, I don't know if there's a, a lint rule for that, but like if you have some state, the way you change it is calling the like dispatcher to change the state. To recap, there's use reducer that hooks into the state. There's use effect that hooks into that. This kind of like when the render cycle runs, do I call some function? So why is that the part that everybody's? That everybody just likes. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because there's a linter plugin that will scream at you if you forget to put one of your dependencies in that array. People have proposed lots of different APIs so that you don't have to do that. That's like one of the, the biggest things that turn people off is like you as a developer have to care about which dependencies need to trigger the, the effect. From the perspective of React, like who else would better be able to track that than the developer? So that's, yeah, that's interesting because it seems like this kind of invalidates one of the motivating use cases here because what we were talking about earlier with like the window uh, example was if you add an event listener and then forget to unregister it, that's going to be a bug. But now we're talking about something that's in my mind, way more error prone, which is you depend on a variable and forget to add it to this list of variables you depend on. There's a linter rule that'll catch that for you. But if you're okay with saying we rely on a linter rule for correctness, then it's way easier in my mind to have a linter rule that says, hey, you added an event listener here, but you forgot to remove it in your component unmounted. Yeah. Add that one line of code and I'll never bother you again. <laughs> I think they could they could have gone in that direction. No, granted, like, like you said, there's the suspense considerations and other things. Okay, so so people don't like that linter rule. I'm guessing because you change your implementation a little bit, you depend on a new thing, and now you get this error, and you got to go oh, and add it to the thing. And yeah, it's very mechanical. It, yeah. Does it go the other way too? Like it says, "Hey, you added this to the list, but actually you're not depending on it, and so you should take it out of that." Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I can see that being annoying in the other direction too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so it's well, because you don't want to run the effect if if, the, oh, if it doesn't yeah, depend right. on something. You don't right, want right, false right, positives. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that. That's the part that bothers people i'm actually bothered by the first part i'm bothered by the fact that render is now not a pure function and i know i've heard people say that oh no it's still technically a pure function because dot 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 and like i don't care like to me a pure function is 
it's like a lookup table. It's like you give these arguments and you look up what the answer is in the lookup table and that's it. There's no registering of anything. As soon as you're registering anything, it's not a pure function anymore because running that function, like if you took that function out and like ran it somewhere, like it's doing something with a uh, global state, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, in the rec- mm-hmm. I guess in the reconciler or, or somewhere in there. And that bothers me on a pretty fundamental level because it means that now render doesn't follow the rules that it doesn't follow the way I'm used to pure functions working. Like for example, I now have to think I need to be really careful with my conditionals because if I accidentally wrap one of these use this or use that, then like now the function does different things. Those are things that I'm used to not worrying about. That's one of the other react uh, or the linter rules that people chafe under, which is you you can't call the hooks conditionally. Well, that seems every smart hook has because... to be called <laughs> unconditionally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, yeah. I, I get why they would do that because yeah, it's like it's error prone in the same way. I mean, it seems like it's like hooks to me reintroduce a lot of problems that are solved by just having render be a pure function in the first place like it like it used to be another great example is testability like the pure functions are great for testing you call them passing the arguments and then you get the answer out and then you're done i assume you lose that with hooks not well it, i i kind of it kind of depends because you're right because the function itself the component no longer only depends on its props now it also depends on the local state that React is managing. Right. And it can have side effects. You could make an argument that we should be able to write the UI in such a way where all of the side effects are managed outside of React and all of the the state is also managed outside of React. And you could name it after a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and exactly. I mean, Elm is a hugely influential piece of software on the fact that the fundamental state like primitive that they give you is basically the Elm architecture. Yeah, but but I get that React is like React does it differently. Right, right. But even still, I mean, in my mind, there's also still an important difference between like, uh, as I recall, now I'm, I'm kind of having to scratch my memory here, but like if I, if I was in the middle of a render function and I called get state, and then I subsequently called set state, which like, I mean, granted you could do, and you had to use discipline to not do that. But as I recall, that was like, a pretty obvious don't do this thing is like, don't call set state in the middle of your render function. I don't recall needing a linter rule to not do that. Put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Then like, okay, it was, it was true that I didn't quite have like my render function is a pure function of its arguments and that, but it was pretty easy to refactor it to be that because I could just be like, okay, well, render is just like get state on this, get state on that, pass that and the props into an actually pure function. And now I've ended up with, all of my render logic is in a single pure function. Do people ever do that with hooks where they like run the hooks up front and then like refactor everything below it into a actually pure function and then that becomes nice and testable? That's roughly the custom hook pattern. Custom, okay. Yeah, right. So if you have some like related functionality that has lots of like side effects and, and state that it has to manage, use these hooks to make your own hook. And then in your component, you just say, use complicated thing and you get the value that you care about. Now that's a value that's not passed into your component. That's a value that's like still within your component and still managed by React. So it's not like a it, it doesn't live outside of your component, but but you can kind of like extract all that logic. Like every component could be written as a custom hook and then a component that just uses that custom hook and then shows your tree. I see. Well, so that's, I guess that's like 
that's like not quite what I had in mind because in my mind, like the, the thing that I really want is I want to be able to say, this is actually something we have in Elm is like Elm HTML test. It's like you literally call the function. It gives you back the virtual DOM data structure. And then you can write tests on it that say like, I expect, you know, this thing to be somewhere in the tree or I expect that thing or this text should be visible, you know, something like that. That's something that I don't recall having something like that in React back when I used it. But it seems like unless you have extracted out like an actually pure function, then it's it's hard to have something like that. You, it seems like you inevitably need some amount of runtime stuff going on and setting some state and things like that. You can't just test it using a plain old ordinary like runtime free, just call the function and check its output strategy. <laughs> right, right. And, and in fact, that is that is the case. All of the React frameworks for testing have to use these internal tools that, Re- that the React team wrote in order to have access to this state and stuff like that. But then what you get out of it in the end is a component tree that you can, that you can call like regular query selector and stuff like that on. But, but then you can like click a button and it updates the state and then you can re-render it and then check it. And it, it still is like inspectable from a testing perspective. But it's harder to mock, it's harder to mock that internal state. You have to kind of use the component to interact with the state, which a lot of people think is, is the right way to test it. But Yeah, but I, I guess now that I'm kind of like zooming out, I guess that because of state alone, that already was the case about render. I just like maybe, you know, I'm remembering it with rose colored <laughs> glasses because, you know, I didn't, sure. <laughs> I didn't like use it that much. I, but also like, I mean, if I'm going to have to extract out a pure function anyway to test it in that way, and also maybe just nobody does that because, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, even if, even if my particular component is returning like a pure virtual DOM structure, some of those things in there might need to, I don't know, use their local state or something. It's not like an Elm where I'm just getting an actual data structure that I can just traverse and be like, oh, this is done. I actually still need to run some stuff in order to see like what those subcomponents print out uh, or, or render to. Yeah, you actually get like each component is a function and you run that function and then it has all the side effects of the React runtime. And so, yeah, there has to be some like scaffolding around when you hand it a component and say, render this for me. It's pure in the sense that when you run it once and you don't change the state and you give it the same props, like it will give you the same thing. But then as soon as you start mutating the state of that component, it's pure in the sense that it's it's now a or it is a, um, a function of its inputs and its internal state, <laughs> if you want to consider that to be pure. <laughs> and, and whatever, you know, effects that it, it hooks into from the outside world, like whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, well, to me, it's very clear that, like, none of these are pure. Like, it's it's like... Right, right. Yeah, pure, it never was pure. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, it's a good point that state alone made it not pure. And yeah, I guess if I, if I hadn't switched over to Elm, at the time that I switched over to Elm, I had already had these, like, testing tools around. I think I probably would have seen that and remembered that. But at the time, I, I just remember thinking, oh, renders a pure function and not realizing until actually just this conversation that actually it never was <laughs> because of get state. Yeah. Fundamentally, two things end up tripping people up about hooks is like, oh, there's all these linter rules that you care about. And then they no longer give you the life cycle of the component as like a an API to interact with directly. They want you to think abstractly through things like Use effect for synchronizing effects. Uh, use reducer for updating the state. Use context for passing on the context and and not care so much if the component is being mounted or unmounted or is this the first time it's being rendered or is this now, is this a render because it's an update? They kind of want 
you to not care about that and kind of messily just respond to the description of the state and the description of the side effects that you care about. So that does make certain things difficult. Like if you have like analytics and you want to hook into the first time a page mounts or something like that, you do have to kind of bend over backwards to recapture some of the abilities that you had when you had that like fine grain control over the life cycle of the component itself. But I think they were looking for fundamentally like a better way to think about like how React is rendering your component. Like, give me your effects, give me the state that you care about. And once we put that in a function, now we can just wrap that in another function and you can call that instead. And like, they're like, they wanted to use functions as the like kind of uh, unit of composition there. And there's a lot more to it than that. But I, I think that's fundamentally like the, the, like the direction they were coming from, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think I got a better understanding of this now. And like, it's clearly not just like, the, it wasn't just the goals were like suspense. And obviously that was part of it. But so I'm curious what, like, as, as somebody who was using this, like, what's your sort of review of hooks? Like, do you think it was a move in the right direction? Do you think like, actually, the good old days were better? How do you feel about them emotionally as a user of React, or as a recent user of React? I think it was the right move. Or at least once I started using hooks, I started writing lots of custom hooks. And the components that I was using started to read like, like, I care about these things. Like, if you looked at the component, like you could, you could understand, okay, this cares about the route. This cares about these pieces of Redux state. It cares about this kind of behavior from mouse pinching or something like that. It, it kind of started to read a little bit more like, like you could kind of understand what the dependencies of this of a component were. But at the expense of really having to like, I, I don't think they intended for people to have to learn so much about how React works under the hood. But you really do have to learn about how React works under the hood in order to really be effective at writing custom hooks. And that was always their intention was like, you write custom hooks. You, unless something is extremely simple, you're wrapping functionality together, you're packaging them together in your own hook, and you're calling That's that. That's interesting. Because you mentioned earlier that one of the original motivations was that class components were hard to teach, and like you had to learn all this stuff to like get an understanding. But it sounds like, did that get worse? I don't think it got worse. It, it was certainly worse at the beginning when you were like trying to translate your components and you're like, okay, this effect happens in unmount, but this other effect only happens during mount that doesn't happen on update. How do I get a uh, use effect to act like that? Because it, it, it runs every render. So I think at that, like that translation period of like, I have a bunch of class components and they have the behavior that I want. Now I need to like rewrite this in function components because I want to use some hook from some new library or something like that. Like that was very awkward. Like, let's say you, someone knows JavaScript, but does not know react. What's the like, learning curve of in the old days with lifecycle hooks or lifecycle components versus today with hooks, like which one's a longer journey before they understand enough to be, you know, productive? I think that's a great question. And it's been so long since I've been a React beginner that it's, it's hard for me to, to know, like for myself, but certainly like bringing new people onto the team that I was working on. I'm, I'm trying to think of it wasn't often that new people were coming in and writing custom hooks, but I think it was very easy for them to come in and 
use a bunch of like it was easier for people to use functionality that we had written like like a custom boolean hook that has like uh, set true and set false and toggle and like this particular api that we wanted yeah. it was very easy for them to come in and say like oh this thing is called use boolean it's used in all these places and i'll use that but i think in some respects like if you were writing a lot of custom hooks yourself like maybe that was a little bit harder than just slinging uh, class components and not really think caring, thinking or caring about like, how do I abstract this into reusable pieces? But it both made writing reusable pieces a little bit easier, I think, except for in those weird circumstances where you do care about the life cycle of the hook in a like, much more specific way. But then also made it easier to consume this kind of reusable behavior for people. So I don't know. I don't know if the net result is that the whole surface area of React is now easier to get from beginner to advanced, or if, it, if the curve has just changed so that it's easier in the beginning and harder at the end. I don't know. It's a good, good question. Wow, we covered a lot of ground here. Anything else we should make sure to talk about with regards to hooks? The only thing I'll say is that a lot of ink has been spilled about hooks and a lot of opinions. It was useful like in preparing to talk to you. I, I like went back to those original like proposals and, and videos and stuff like that of when they announced it. I was like, they they were pretty eloquent about like the things that they cared about and the way they wanted people things to be used. And so I would encourage people if they're struggling, if they're coming into React brand new, or if they're trying to level up their React code base, or they're just kind of, kind of curious about what's been happening in React like you are. Those early presentations and the RFC and all that stuff are both pretty easy to consume and I think read pretty well as as far as like what their motivations were and, and good example. Well, contrived, but easy to follow examples. Nice. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, joining me on this conversation. I, I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> it's nice to go down sort of like memory lane and also learn some more about like why things happened the way they did. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Richard. I appreciate it. 